Well, good morning, everyone. It is a good day today. We are starting a new sermon series uh, in the uh, in the book of Mark, in the gospel of Mark. If you've got your Bibles, uh, we're going to be referring to a couple of places uh, in Mark today. Um, this is uh, one of the gospels that that, ha- that has a, a dear place in my heart. Uh, when I went to seminary, I had the opportunity of taking a class with uh, Dr. Larry Perkins. He was the president of our seminary. And uh, uh, an expert in New Testament, and uh, one of my one of my cherished memories from my seminary education was uh, the first class that we did in the Gospel of Mark with Dr. Perkins. Is he stood up at the front of the class and went through from the beginning, right through to the end of Mark, reading not not reading but interpreting, translating from his Greek New Testament, and uh, reading for us the flow of this marvelous account of the life of Jesus Christ um, and, and just his insights as he was sharing and just giving us that broad overview. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity of reading one of the Gospels all in one long sitting. Um, it takes a little while for, for Mark, uh, but it is well worth it. Um, and Mark is probably one of the best Gospels to do that in. It is created as... A story. Um, it was it was intended uh, to be uh, to be read almost in like a dinner theater kind of a setting. Um, it's uh, that's the way that Mark created it. He he wrote that and then uh, gave it out to a number of of people who would then travel through the countryside, stopping at different communities and and telling the story of Jesus Christ. Um, and. Uh, I'm, later on, I'm going to actually play a little clip from a gentleman. His name's Max Weber, and he actually does a dramatic reading of Mark for us. And there's a couple of others that you can find online if you want to, to, uh, to listen to a dramatic reading of the Gospel of Mark right from the very beginning uh, right to the end. And it is a, a powerful way of, of seeing that story with all the different pieces all tied together. Um, so I'm looking forward to our time here together this morning. My intention is just to kind of give a bit of an overview, an introduction of the whole book of Mark. Um, I am not going to do the whole thing like Dr. Perkins did for us, but uh, just to kind of give you a bit of a sense of uh, what exactly we're looking forward to and, and the overall theme and, 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 um, and tone of this particular uh, message, the story of Jesus Christ. Mark was written by John Mark. As we talked about last week, um, there were a number of uh, the apostles, including Paul and Peter, that had very close relationship with, uh, with John Mark, and he is referred to in some of their writings. And um, we read last week that uh, uh, Peter referred to Mark as his dear son. Um, there was a close, intimate relationship that there was between the two of them. John Mark is also the very same Mark, if you're familiar with the story of Acts and the, uh, the uh, ministry of Paul in, in his planting of churches. Uh, this is the very same Mark over whom Paul and Barnabas 
disagreed and, and came to a place where they had to go in different directions because they couldn't agree on whether to take Mark along with them on their second missionary journey. The reason was because in their first missionary journey, Mark started off with them, but when they reached Pamphylia, for whatever reason, and the scripture doesn't go into the details, Mark abandoned them. He wasn't able to continue on. He left them. And, and that really shook Paul um, and shook his trust in Mark. And so when Barnabas suggested that they take Mark along with them in their second missionary journey, Paul said, no way, I'm not taking that uh, coward along with me. I don't know if he said that, um, <laughs> what exactly his words were. Um, but he refused. He said, that, uh, it's not smart to take this guy. He's just going to get set up for failure again. God bless Barnabas, son of encouragement, who, who saw within this young man uh, uh, the fingerprints of God, the, the, the potential and the opportunity of being somebody that was going to have a significant ministry in the life of the church. And so he took John Mark along with him and, and uh, did their own missionary journey. Eventually... Um, Mark and, and Paul were able to reconcile. And as we read, as we read, you remember when we went through Timothy, uh, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, as Paul is writing to another one of his protégés, Timothy, he said, when you come to me, make sure that you bring Mark along with you because he is useful to me. It's a wonderful story. It's an encouragement to me. Um, knowing that, that even in the midst of my mistakes, in the midst of my uh, uh, falling short, God doesn't give up on us. He continues to work in us and through us and accomplish great things. And even to say, go so far as to say, God works not in spite of our weaknesses, but he actually works through our weaknesses. And I think part of the uh, the tone and the tenor of Mark's gospel reflects that young man who went through difficult times, who went through some challenges, and God was able to work through him and, and have a, a mentor that came alongside him and, and worked closely with him. We know that Mark um, is the writer of this gospel, not because he says that he is anywhere in here. You won't find his name anywhere listed in this gospel. Uh, but it's church tradition that, uh, that we know that it was him who wrote this particular gospel. It was actually uh, the church father, Papias, uh, who died around 120 AD. And um, he wrote and said that Mark became Peter's interpreter and wrote accurately all he remembered, not indeed in order of all the things that were said and done by the Lord, for he, Mark, had not heard the Lord, nor he, or had he followed him. But later on, he followed Peter. And so uh, our understanding is, is that, that Mark worked closely together with Peter in his ministry and heard Peter again and again uh, recounting and telling the, the, the stories of Jesus Christ, the ministry of Jesus. And as he heard those stories, he, he, um, he was one of the ones that, were, that was helping uh, Peter translate that into Greek to be able to get it out to, uh, to others. Um, and then also, uh, uh, 
hearing those things for himself as he saw Peter um, failing, whether it was while Peter was still alive and Mark wrote these things down, or after Peter was martyred and Mark felt this compulsion that we needed, we needed a record, an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. He wrote this gospel based off of the things that he had heard from, um, uh, from his, his mentor, Peter. Uh, Papias is somebody that we can trust. Uh, he was a close companion of Polycarp, who was a, a disciple of the, of the apostle John. And so um, uh, Papias would, would have been alive during the teaching and the ministry of John, very likely that he himself had connection with John. And so he would have heard some of these same stories and would have been able to confirm and lived around the same time that Mark would have lived. And so he is a faithful witness that this was uh, Mark who wrote this particular um, gospel for us. Although we don't, um, we don't have Mark's name mentioned in the gospel at all, uh, there are some that, that uh, suppose that there is a little cameo that he plays here in this story. If you turn to Mark chapter 14, uh, this is uh, the account of Jesus in the garden in this time of being arrested by uh, the temple guards and the, and the centurions. And uh, talks of the, about the betrayal of Judas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There is this very small, little couple of verses uh, that are injected here in the midst of this story that seem a little bit of out of place. Um, if we read at uh, John chapter fourteen, starting at verse fifty-one, did I say John? I really meant Mark. I just wanted to make things difficult here this morning. Mark chapter fourteen, verse fifty-one. It says here, and a young man followed him. So this is just uh, uh, talking about the, uh, the guards seizing Jesus and taking him away and all the rest of the apostles fleeing and getting out of the way. It says that a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. There are those, uh, just because of the... The, the, uh, uh, the lack of, of any name that identified this young man, um, the, the very personal nature of all of this, the expectation, the thought is that this was Mark, that he had somehow joined the, the disciples there at the end of Jesus' ministry. He hadn't necessarily been with Jesus all through his ministry, but was there at the end. And, and this was him there at the time of Jesus' arrest um, and his escape um, and, and streaking through the, the streets of, of Jerusalem um, without his tunic on. Uh, don't know that for sure. We're not going to build any strong uh, doctrines or anything like that around that, but uh, that is a possibility. That's his little uh, cameo that we have. So we know that Peter died in 64 AD during Nero's persecution of the church in Rome. So it's likely that this gospel was written around that time, 64 AD, um, uh, whether before Peter's death or shortly thereafter, 
Um, that's the expectation. It makes it one of the earliest gospels that we have. We know that it's also one of the earliest gospels because it is quoted so often in the other synoptic gospels. Both Matthew and Luke uh, depend heavily on the testimony of Mark's gospel. And you can see that by the, the direct quotes that there are in both of them. Uh, sometimes those quotes are a little bit different um, than, uh, than the other. One will be the same as Mark, but the other one a little bit different. And then in another situation, that one will be a little bit different, and the other one is exactly like Mark. And so textual critics are able to then deduce from that that Mark was likely accessible to the church at large which fits with this idea that it was uh, being spread by uh, people at dinner theaters throughout uh, the, the Roman world. Um, and that both Matthew and Luke uh, depended heavily on the testimony of Mark in the creation of their own Gospels. Um, so as I said, this is... Uh, really meant to be told as a story. And that's one of the reasons why Mark's gospel has become um, so accessible to especially new believers, especially those that don't have any church or, or even a, a Jewish background, because it was written with that intent in mind. Certainly, as, as we read it, there you can, you can see that there is a connection with the Jewish audience. Um, but also there's a lot of explanation about Jewish traditions and things like that within Mark, which, which gives us the sense that, that he was intending this to be writ, read or heard uh, by a, a large audience beyond just the Jewish people. And that makes it very accessible for us um, who are not Jewish, who don't necessarily have all of those Jewish traditions and understanding. It, it helps us. And, and as a, a story, it flows so well. There is such a uh, an interesting um, uh, literary device that, that, that Mark uses time and time again of, of uh, raising up questions for people and, and, and uh, uh, pitting different groups of people um, within the story against each other and balancing out those who, who are believing and those that are not believing. Um, there's a lot of surprise and, and kind of uh, ironic uh, twists that Mark includes here in his gospel um, that, uh, that make it very unique and very uh, engaging as you are reading through it. And um, so that's, that's kind of the, uh, the way that it was designed is to be that kind of a story being told. I, I said I had a clip here of, of uh, somebody, uh, Max Weber, um, doing one part. And this is coming from uh, Mark chapter 4 and chapter 5, uh, the account of Jesus um, on the, the Sea of Galilee, and then as he calms the storm there, and then as he uh, meets with the, the demoniac there in the Gerasenes. So we're going to actually listen to this, and um, just to kind of get a bit of a taste of what it was like. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, oh, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat. It was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. 
the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down. And it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? <laughs> they were terrified and said to each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. Or he'd often been chain, hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart. He broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, he fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the most high God! Swear to God, you won't torture me! But Jesus was saying to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion! We are many! And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go to them. He gave them permission. The demons came out, went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people came out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And they told about the pigs as well. <laughs> then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. You can see how the story is engaging, right? That it, it draws you in. And, and uh, so when... When you are reading through Mark from now on, you have to do all of the voices and all of the <laughs> other stuff. If you've got some sound effects that can go along with it, that's really helpful too. Um, one of the things that, that we see here just in this account that, that is a, a common theme that we're going to be looking through, looking for as we go through the gospel of Mark is, is this uh, uh, description or, or, or indication of those who believe and those who don't believe. And that's often where a lot of the surprise comes from because it's the people who, uh, who you don't expect to be the ones who believe are the ones that are believing. And the ones that you would think 
that they would be uh, drawn in and would understand and put their trust in Jesus. Those are the ones that continually have questions and doubts and those that then come and oppose Jesus, those even more strongly with all the religious training and everything else, that these are the ones that come out against what Jesus is saying. And there's all of this irony and twists that are there within the whole story. And, and, and ultimately, it's coming down because it's, it's feeding into this theme of the whole book. And we can find that theme when we look at the very first verse in chapter 1 of Mark. This is the theme of Mark's gospel. The beginning of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There are things that, uh, that jump out at us here in this, um, in this introduction, in this declaration of what the theme is, what the overall purpose of Mark's writing this. It is the beginning It's not the end. It's not the fulfillment of. This is just the very beginning. And and the reason that Mark puts it that way is because the whole purpose and intention of this book is to engage the reader into becoming one of those who believe. Uh, the question is going to be posed, uh, whether uh, directly or, or indirectly implied, to, to you, the listener, to you, the reader. What will you do with this Jesus? How will you respond to the claims that he makes, the things that he does? Will you believe that he is the Messiah, the chosen one? Will you believe that he is the Son of God. As we go through this book, there are going to be very few places where we're going to see that phrase again, the Son of God. Because Mark wants us to to engage. The people that say, that declare, that, that attest to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God are people that are very unlikely. Um, It's going to be demon-possessed individuals that are going to identify that Jesus is the Son of God. Other than those spiritual forces um, that that make that kind of declaration, and not a declaration in belief, but a declaration in fear, the only other one that is going to declare, other than this point right here where Mark at the beginning lets us know that it is his belief, his firm conviction that Jesus is the Son of God. The only other one that's going to stand up with him and declare that as well is a Roman centurion (laughs) standing at the foot of the cross having witnessed all that has gone on, having not just witnessed but participated in this tremendous act of anger and and violence towards this innocent man and seeing uh, the the darkness come over the landscape and and, and hearing and feeling the earthquake as as the as the earth opened up, and he stands there and says, surely this was the Son of God. 
And as you go through this story, it's going to be posed to you of, will you believe? Will you take all of these things that Jesus has said, all of these things that Jesus has done, and will you put your faith in him as the Son of God? It's a, a powerful tool, an evangelistic tool that would have been used very effectively as these men would have gone out into the countryside to share the story and then leave with that invitation. Will you? It is, uh, that question is highlighted at the very end of this, the account of Mark. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16. So if you go to the very to this last chapter of Mark, as you come partway through this chapter, you get to verse 8. Most of your Bibles will have uh, an inscription just below verse 8. Some might just have a footnote and, and something down below. But all of them will say something like this. Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16 verses 9 to 20. And, and that, is, that is the case. Now, the, without getting into a whole bunch of details and technical jargon about uh, how we are able to determine as uh, modern-day believers of what was actually in the original manuscripts that were written by the apostles um, at the time um, of uh, just after Jesus, of the, of the establishing of the church, um, but part of the confidence that we have in the, the, the accuracy of our understanding of what was written in those originals, even though we don't have any of the originals, they have long since deteriorated, disappeared, or whatever, but we have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of copies of manuscripts, of quotations, and so on and so forth, that have all been pieced together to be able to help us understand what was written in those original copies. And even though there are some variations, it's actually because of some of those variations that we have great confidence that what we have today was actually the originals. There wasn't, those variations prove that there wasn't any body, overarching body, that was dictating or mandating what was going to be um, uh, uh, used as holy scriptures, that it was a much more grassroots thing, that, that people were passing those, uh, uh, those letters on and those gospels on. They would, they would uh, share it someplace and then make a copy and leave that copy there before they go. And so people would have a copy so that there in their church, they would be able to read what was going on there. And, and sometimes there would be those that would, uh, maybe some of you are, are a, a margin writer in your Bible, where you put little notes, things that stick out to you, that, that, that are important to you, and you, you write that in, in, the, in the margins on your Bible. There are copies that have these little margin notes, and what would have happened over the time is that as somebody else got a copy and they saw those marginal notes, they thought, man, that's 
really good information. I'm going to add that here into this, my copy as well, because that's some really good insights. And so because of all of those different variants, we're able to trace where these copies came from. What were the originals or, or the, 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 uh, the manuscripts that they were copying? Because we can kind of trace the family history with those different variants and trace them back and, and understand what is uh, the, the originals. So in Mark, we actually have uh, some of the earliest, most reliable copies um, that are available to us do not have anything beyond chapter or verse 8 of chapter 16. Um, there are some that have an intermediate ending. So there are some, instead of verse 9 through the rest, they just have this. Uh, they reported briefly to those around Peter all that had been commanded. After these things, Jesus himself sent out through them uh, from the east uh, to the west, the holy and imperishable preaching of eternal salvation. Amen. And that's it. There are others that have the full... That's a little light. <laughs> there are others that have the, the full verses that, that we have here that, that go on, verse, verse 9 to 20. Uh, there are some that actually have notes in them that say, like this one, this is uh, the Codex Regis, and you can see up here, this is basically uh, the same thing that we have where it says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include this. And this is that intermediate um, ending that I just shared with you before. And then down here it says um, other copies have all of the rest of this. And this is the regular what we have verse 9 through 20. So even some of the marginal comments that are in there are indicating that, that if the original, as far as we know, the original gospel of Mark ended at verse 8. Let's read that. Because it is surprising. I'm going to start reading um, at... Uh, Verse 4. So this is talking about the, the ladies who, the, the, that went to the tomb of Jesus um, after he had been buried on Easter morning to go and prepare his body because they hadn't had enough time before the Passover started to be able to prepare, prepare his body. Verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. And entering the tomb... They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But now go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he had told you. So the ladies went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. End of story. And you go, so what happened? 
what's going on? This is part of Mark's literary device to be able to throw the question at you. As we go through Mark, we are going to see time and time again, those that are with Jesus continue to doubt how often Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. So often they fall short and miss the whole point of what Jesus is trying to teach them. These who spent so much time with Jesus, who you would expect that having seen all of the miracles, having seen him calm the storm, having seen him cast out demons, having seen him heal those that were sick, to, to open the eyes of the blind, to, to unstop the ears of the deaf, to, to help those that, that were lame to walk, you would think that those ones would buy in, would believe who Jesus was. And yet, time and time again, they totally miss the point. Jesus tells the parable of the mustard seed. This this littlest of all the seeds, so insignificant, and yet it goes into the ground and becomes this great tree with room for birds to nest and animals to find shelter. That is the kingdom of God. Mark's gospel is that little mustard seed where you you see it and you go, there's nothing that's going to come from this. And yet the very fact that there is a gospel, that there is somebody in front of you telling this story says that this was only, Mark's gospel was only the beginning of the account of Jesus Son of God, that it has grown, that it has built. And the question now is, what will you do after hearing all of this, after hearing the testimony of Jesus, hearing the testimony of these apostles, of the things that they saw, the things that they heard, will you be like these women and run away afraid? Will you be like the disciples in the boat and say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Will you be like that Roman centurion? That even in the midst of your sin and rebellion and your anger and hatred towards this man, that he recognized this is the Son of God. How will you respond to the story? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the faithful testimony and witness of men like Peter and like Mark and John and and all the others that, that recorded for us the accounts of your life, of your ministry, of your message to us. What a privilege it is for us to be a continuation of the story of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that we carry that message forward. That we live that out in our own lives, that in that that message of good news that we find for ourselves, 
freedom, that we find for ourselves the forgiveness of sins, that we find for ourselves purpose and meaning and new life in Jesus Christ, but also that we then get to carry that message forward to a world who so desperately needs your truth, that so desperately needs to be made alive in your forgiveness and in your uh, reconciliation. Lord, I pray for us as we, as we do this study over the next weeks and months that we would be like that centurion, that we would be quick to recognize you as the Son of God, that our eyes would be open, that, that, that Satan wouldn't be able to blind us even in the midst of our own sinfulness, that we would be able to hear from you and not only accept for ourselves and, and allow you to transform our own hearts, but then we would be faithful witnesses ourselves in proclaiming, surely this is the Son of God. Lord, our community desperately needs to hear that message. We live in a time and a place of so much chaos, so many voices pulling in so many different directions. And people are, are, are being frustrated, they're being divided, they're being uh, 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 deceived, they're being uh, uh, mobilized into, into anger and, and division, and there's just so much chaos and craziness going on, Lord. We need the Prince of Peace to come and make us new. Would you equip and empower us as we study this account of your life that we would then be prepared and equipped to be able to spread that good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, into our world? And would we have the joy of seeing your Spirit working in people's lives, drawing them into a place of repentance, of new life and regeneration? But oh, we look forward to that day when the completion of the good news of Jesus Christ is made real. When we would stand as your people in your presence to lift your name high, to sing our praises and worship you. What a great day that will be and while we wait and, and, and hope and anticipation of that day, we also open up ourselves to be used today to join you in that mission of rescuing those that are lost and those that are dying. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.